Hey, what's up, everybody? On this episode of Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley, we react to the first round of the NFL Draft and the selection of Tua Tonguvailoa by the Miami Dolphins. Plus, Drew Buggs officially decides to leave the UH Hoops program, and David Matlin responds to Mountain West Commissioner Craig Thompson's concerns about there being a college football season. And as always, our best and worst. Hit us up on Twitter, at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helley, or at TalkSports808 with any questions, comments, or topics. We thank you for listening and giving us a shot. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, Jordan? Man, the quarantine round one coverage of the NFL draft just got done. So we're sort of gathering our thoughts here in the immediate aftermath. Uh, but for the warm up, let's just kind of talk about the aesthetics of this thing. Uh, a first time ever remote NFL draft. And so it introduced the possibility of there being some major glitch heavy nightmarish level of production quality it actually was pretty darn good it was a tight show kudos to the ESPN production team and all of the on-air talent uh, as well as the NFL Network for their involvement uh, heck even Roger Goodell is sort of the host almost like the Oscar host or Grammy host of the big show he was not that bad in that role I thought what was your take on the overall coverage here of round one I thought it was great I thought it was great. I, I thought we'd have a few glitches here or there. I think a lot of people did, just based on how monumental a task it was to get all those pieces together in one seamless broadcast with everybody in different locations, the players themselves, the team representatives themselves. Uh, it was all over the place, but it went off without a hitch. Heck, I checked with, checked with a source for purely research purposes what the, uh, what the odds makers had set the over-under in terms of technical glitches and uh, I was told it was four and a half. We didn't even get close to that. I don't even think we had one uh, throughout the night tonight. And it was, it didn't seem out of the ordinary because we usually get some of those shots of a, of a prospect in their house. or we get a shot of the war room someplace. And sure, Cliff Kingsbury's house happened to be a war room. Uh, what a set that was uh, for him, uh, wherever he's living in the greater Phoenix metro area. But other than, other than not having the big bear hug, you know, with Roger Goodell and, and the draftees uh, on the stage or not having the ensemble cast physically together with Trey Wingo and company for ESPN there on site. It really didn't seem strange. It really didn't seem too out of the ordinary. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily be ready to crown Roger Goodell as a guy who is threatening any of the late night talk show hosts positions, right? He performed like a quasi monologue and everything. They did the little booing thing with his computer screen and all of these uh, Zoom entrants it looked like. Uh, and so that was kind of moderately funny, uh, but I just felt like going up against the circumstances they were going up against and just the, the sheer possibility of it all crumbling down to the ground, it was phenomenal, the overall job that they did. I don't know if you want to count someone looking like they were possibly pooping in the background of Mike Rabel's house or whatever that skin tight outfit that was uh, donned in Titans colors that was standing behind uh, Mike Rabel in his house uh, shot. I don't know if you want to count those as glitches, uh, but yeah, Cliff Kingsbury, does he know what he's doing or what? It's not enough that this guy is just one of the most aesthetically pleasing human beings in all of football. 
But uh, he knew exactly how to frame that shot of his fat mansion situation there. The quote-unquote war room. Yeah, really looked like he was uh, digging it out in the trenches over there. <laughs> yeah, he's living life, right? It's the only guy who get fired from a college job and then get an NFL head gig, get Kyler Murray. I love their pick, by the way, in Isaiah Simmons, the hybrid guy out of Clemson. We'll get into some of the details, but he's, he's doing things right. He is, he is, his house... And that living room situation is exactly what I pictured Cliff Kingsbury's house to look like. If that's what 24 and 26 at <laughs> Texas Tech will accomplish for you, that kind of setup, uh, man, he is doing something right. Uh, all right, so uh, let's get into the game time discussion here because obviously the guy that we here in the islands were most following and most looking forward to hearing as far as the name called was Tua Tongo Vailoa out of St. Louis School in Alabama. And there was all kinds of talk, as is the case every year with regard to the draft, rumor mill stuff, or the Dolphins shopping the fifth pick. Are they trying to trade up? The Detroit Lions at number three sounded like they were maybe jockeying to try to stimulate some kind of interest and, and maybe put some pressure on the Dolphins to want to trade up as well. There were people that were saying that Justin Herbert was going to get chosen. It was Mel Kuyper specifically, in fact, before Tongo Vailoa. And as it turns out, it was primarily chalk. It went as everyone sort of originally thought it would. And the Miami Dolphins take Tua at the number five position. So what do you think here? Uh, some of the headlines we've seen on social media and otherwise, it's uh, from Eva Beach to Miami Beach or to from, from Eva Beach to South Beach. I love that stuff. What do you think about Tua going to the Dolphins? Yeah, uh, the 76 South, right, is the uh, Puerto River Road that takes you right now to Eva Beach. So it's 76 South Beach now for, for Tua Tango Vailoa. I wasn't surprised at all. There, there, was a, there was a lot of chatter within the last, what, week and a half. Um, and it seemed like smoke, quite honestly. And, and you got to kind of parse through this, right? The Lions kept getting calls for picks. There were, there were people who were saying the, the Dolphins liked Herbert a little bit better. And I really think the Dolphins kind of maneuvered this just perfectly. They didn't have to trade any of their uh, assortment of picks that they had accumulated over the course of the last couple of years. They could sit at five. Uh, I think they had a lot of people thinking perhaps that Tua wasn't their pick. Uh, you know, it sounds like there was some internal discussion within their building. It's not like Tua was 100% their guy all the way through. But but once they worked it out and once they figured out where they wanted to go, he was their guy. Uh, and so he went exactly where I thought he was going to go. And, and I'm not surprised just based on the circumstances that we didn't see any trades in the top 10, which is pretty rare uh, here in the last decade or so. And I'm not surprised that the quarterbacks basically went one, two, three, like we expected four months ago and there wasn't a lot of drama really in the top 10 uh which maybe took away a little bit of the excitement but for Tua to go to the Dolphins I, again I thought that's where he was gonna go uh I like what Miami did with their three picks in the first round especially going offensive tackle uh with that 18th pick Austin Jackson out of USC even though I don't think he's a starter necessarily immediately I think you could say the same thing about Tua right the uh, the thing I like about Miami, they've got some decent targets, obviously, with Devontae Parker, their number one receiver. Uh, Mike Gusecki, their number one tight end, who's a pretty good pass catcher. Uh, but then also the fact that he's in a situation where they've got an incumbent and they've got options in case he's not quite ready to go week one. And, and I think it's just going to be so much more difficult this season with a limited offseason, a very rushed offseason. Uh, so for rookie quarterbacks, it's going to be a little bit tough. Uh, but I, I like the situation for him. Uh, you got to love the direction that team is trending 
under Brian Flores. I know they went five and eleven, but I think I think it's a good landing spot. It's a, it's a warm weather climate. Uh, it's a team that seems to be heading in the right direction. I wouldn't say they're filled out and rounded out offensively, but you've got some weapons to help him grow uh, whenever it is he gets on the field. No, it's a work in progress over there in Miami. There's no doubt about it. I mean, they're still probably on a two to three year type of process plan or strategy. And so I think for Tua, this is a prime situation because of all this, the, the details that you laid out, but primarily because they have Ryan Fitzpatrick. They have Josh Rosen, a former high pick of the Cardinals. Uh, and so Tua is not going to be forced to play week one. You always hear that when one of these – uh, highly drafted quarterbacks come out and they're like, all right, well, uh, what are the odds of such and such taking the snaps behind center week one of this upcoming season? And I don't think there's any pressure on the Dolphins or Tua Tongo Vailoa with regard to the injury and their quarterback situation to have to throw him out there. And what you see a lot of times is even if teams are implying that that's going to be the plan, hey, look, we're going to slow play this. We're not going to play our rookie guy or start him at least early on in the season. We're going to let him gradually learn the process and the playbook, and then we're going to put him out there. But then you start to hear the fan noise you start to succumb to some of the fan pressure but I think the Dolphins have that very organic excuse in place that can ward off some of that pressure which is hey look we don't want to put him out there before he's physically ready even if he is they can still use that as a rational reasoning behind not rushing him out onto the field and so it gives him ample time to get right physically if he's not already or if he's not going to be at the start of the season and even if he is, it also gives him ample time to just kind of sit there and absorb and learn like so many other great quarterbacks have uh, without taking some of the, the shots and, and without having to uh, take some of the punishment that oftentimes rookie quarterbacks are exposed to. So I think it's a situation that from a football standpoint and even just aesthetically just kind of works for Tua. And I think the Dolphins in my opinion, made the right decision because they are one of those teams that's not in a position where they have to put a guy whose physical health and physical history is somewhat in question. They don't have to rush him out there. Uh, we do need to figure out a way for famous Dolphins fan Rick Ross, a hip-hop artist, <laughs> mogul, uh, to figure out how to pronounce correctly Tua Tonga Bailoa's last name. I think uh, when he posted on social media tonight, it was... Taglavlioa or something like that was what he said. So yeah, he's got to work on that. But hey, you know what? It was it's it's draft day round one. So um, we'll give him some time. I think he thought too it was Italian. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe that's right. Shane Victorino ran into uh, some of those issues as well <laughs> when uh, for the World Baseball Classic, Italy yeah. tried to recruit him to play for them. It's like no, it's um, it's actually Portuguese. All right. So the another issue that introduces itself here for Tua is he wears number 13, has worn it going back to high school. I think maybe he toiled with number 11 in his youth football days, uh, but he's been number 13 primarily. There was a pretty good number 13 who had his jersey retired in Miami. You may have heard of him, Dan Marino. Uh, and so what do you think Tua should do about his jersey number here? He has said, uh, to his credit, immediately after being drafted, said, hey, look, Dan Marino's the GOAT. He is a legend. I'm not trying to wear number 13. I'll wear whatever number they throw at me. It's somewhat limited as far as what numbers are at the current moment available. Uh, do you lean one way or another as to uh, what they should put on the jersey for to a Tongo Bailoa? 
Yeah, you know, I, I, that's, that's the big caveat, right, with Josh Rosen uh, wearing number three because you figure guys kind of tend to do that. Hey, if they're 13, maybe they transition to a number three, or if they were three, they transition to 13, uh, get something close because obviously quarterbacks can only wear one through 19 in the NFL because it would be kind of fun if you could just wear 50. You could just be 5-0 or something like that. Um, but, uh, of course, that's not in the cards. I, I'm, I'm curious. I'm curi- I think he wore six in like a high school all-star game. There's some photos circulating around of, of Tua wearing a six for like some Hawaii all-star team when he was, when he was a youngster in college. It's also another kind of interesting storyline is the fact that Tua and Josh Rosen actually played against each other in high school when St. John Bosco out of Southern California came down to Aloha Stadium uh, many moons ago when Tua yeah, was just a like young. Yeah, wasn't that like Tua's second varsity game or something? Yeah, he was, a, he was a sophomore. He didn't even start the game. Uh, he came off the bench and kind of lit it up. I think he threw two touchdowns in that game. I think Bosco won it pretty handily mm-hmm. uh, that season. Josh Rosen, if I'm not mistaken, they might have won the national mythical national championship that season for St. John Bosco. But, yeah, I, I'm, I don't know what Tua's going to wear. Uh, maybe Tua will uh, do the millennial thing and put it on Twitter and we can all vote. You know, that would be a very appropriate manner of which to figure this thing out. Uh, you know, the natural idea, a lot of times you see players that are forced to change numbers, especially if they're double-digit numbers. Uh, you just pick a number where you add the two together, right? So number four would make sense. One plus uh-huh. three equals four. Uh, there you go. A little mathematical solution to this jersey issue. But, uh, yeah, much bigger fish to fry long-term and big picture for Tua Tonga-Vailoa. But the jersey <laughs> number thing is a thing. Let's not, uh, let's not be fooled there uh, on that one. All right, any other thoughts, surprises from round one? Because I think the, the, aside from Joe Burrow going number one and really the top five, with the exception of Andrew Thomas maybe moving up in, in to that number four position, being at least based on most accounts like the third or fourth rated tackle among the group, uh, Tua going at five, which was sort of originally predicted. There was more or less chalk, as you alluded to, through the first 10 picks. Uh, but then you got into some interesting situations with the 49ers trading out of the number 13 position, uh, Tampa Bay trading up into number 13 uh, to take Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa. San Francisco gets the guy they wanted, you would imagine, a D-tackle to try to help further compensate for the loss of DeForest Buckner. Uh, but then you get down into that Green Bay Packers pick where they trade up to the number 26 (laughs) position. They trade with Miami and they take Jordan Love out of Utah State, a quarterback. Let's frame this a little bit just for perspective. Aaron Rodgers, who I think everyone's in agreement, is either the or one of the best quarterbacks of all of the NFL, right? And maybe of all time. 15 straight years now, Green Bay has not taken a first round receiver or running back. 15 straight years of Aaron Rodgers, 16 years with the team. And so they have a guy who had them on the doorstep of making it to the Super Bowl just last season and clearly needs a little bit of help in terms of weaponry and what to put in his arsenal, right? Without Aaron Rodgers, this Green Bay Packers team, I mean, they would be borderline rubbish, I think. We can agree with that. I don't think that's a hot take or anything like that. But instead of trying to get him some help in this first round, Green Bay looks to basically draft his successor. If you were Aaron Rodgers, would you be upset? Oh, yeah, I'd be ticked off. I'd be ticked off. And we know Aaron Rodgers is a bit of an emotional guy. Um, He is not one to necessarily hide his displeasure. We've seen that both on the field. And I'm not saying he's 
you know, some, some guy that's, that's blowing off in the media or something like that. But it, I think it's well-documented, right? He is, he, I, I don't want to call him a difficult guy to necessarily work with, but, but he is a guy who demands excellence, right? He is a guy, and, and we'll, we'll see a lot of that with Michael Jordan here in The Last Dance coming up. The, the great ones, they demand that. They expect you to meet them when it comes to execution, preparation, and performance on the field. And he's had to put up with maybe talent around him that wasn't quite ready to meet him at those levels. And, and uh, a head coach that he had a contentious relationship in, Mike McCarthy, all those years. And so they get rid of Mike McCarthy. They make some changes in the front office. And you figured, okay, things are going to change a little bit. They bring in Matt LaFleur, a quarterback-minded and inclined head coach. Uh, to work with Aaron Rodgers and expand the offense and cater to his strengths. Um, and you figured, okay, that they're all in, right? It's not like Aaron Rodgers has a huge chunk of his career left. There aren't that many guaranteed seasons. He's getting up there in age, and, and he's a guy who maybe will play into his 40s like a Tom Brady or something like that. But you don't know, right? And so it would make sense to go all in on him and, and build the pieces around him and make it work, make it last as long as it can, and give him the tools. Because as you mentioned, I mean, the NFC Championship game last year. It's questionable. Obviously, it worked out when they drafted Aaron Rodgers, and a lot of people were complaining in much the same way because they said, hey, look, we have Brett Favre. We have one of the best quarterbacks in the league right now. But that was a bit of a different situation, if you recall, because Aaron Rodgers was a prospective top five pick that just sort of dropped down in the draft. And so – the Packers took advantage of what was an unexpected situation. In this particular instance, they traded up to position themselves to be able to take Jordan Love. And so they had their sights set on someone like that. Get them some help, man. Like, how frustrating must this have been? I mean, this whole journey for Aaron Rodgers of like, man, we're doing it with smoke and mirrors. How about you get me some legitimate help, right? You have to prepare yourself. It is good to be prepared. But the time is also now. And so why are you forcing yourself to think about the future when you still have a product now that is knocking on the door of being a Super Bowl caliber, Super Bowl worthy product? Uh, All right. Well, staying on the NFL tip, um, obviously big news, Tom Brady uh, deciding in free agency to go to Tampa Bay. And now he is going to be reunited with one of his favorite weapons in New England. You have maybe the greatest quarterback of all time, once again, teaming up with maybe the greatest tight end of all time as Rob Gronkowski's coming out of retirement uh, in what was a trade along with a seventh rounder from New England to Tampa Bay for a fourth round pick. Basically, Gronk held all of the cards, all of the leverage. Does this move make Tampa Bay a legit Super Bowl contender, Jordan? Yeah, I think it definitely makes them a contender in that division. Um, And look, if you're competing with the Saints, especially what they are now, uh, I think that puts you in contention in the NFC. So, yeah. Uh, look, they, they're loaded. They're loaded on offense with all of the big targets that they have uh, with Mike Evans. And, and we'll see what they, they sort out at tight end because they now are maybe deeper than anybody at tight end. I mean, he's got like five guys over 6'4 that he can throw the football to in Tom Brady. And, and so that's, that's an offense that's going to be scary to deal with. It's going to be an offense under Bruce Arians that is going to look to gash teams. Uh, and I think They'll be able to, uh, and I think what it allows is for a Tom Brady who has seen his accuracy drop a bit in the last couple of years of his career. It's not like he is as precise with the football. And so 
How do you help him out? You go get huge guys to go and have him throw the football to where the margin of error is expanded a little bit. And he doesn't have to be so close. You just throw it up to these guys, and all of a sudden they're bringing it down. So I think it's a perfect fit, obviously, in terms of what they already had. And now you throw Gronk back in there at 6'6", 6'7", whatever it is. Um, Heck, I've been reading some articles about how Bruce Arians isn't mad at all about his weight loss that he's experienced since retiring and now unretiring because, heck, they could line him up out wide. They could line him up as more of a slot receiver as in turn, as opposed to an inline tight end. It's like, that's scary um, if you're an opposing defense. So offensively, and the big question mark is going to be on defense, obviously, and we, we know some of the numbers from last season, but I think the defense will improve just based on the fact that I don't anticipate Tom Brady to throw 30 interceptions like Jameis Winston did last year. Uh, so I think that unit will be improved, but Man, I'm fascinated to see what Bruce Arians does with, with all of these big, huge weapons. Um, he isn't a guy that necessarily has had super productive tight ends uh, at, at most of his stops in Indianapolis and Arizona, but uh, he also hasn't had this collection of talent, I think, at that position at any point in his career. All right, let's transition here and talk a little University of Hawaii basketball uh, because it was just announced that Drew Bugs unveiled his final three, his final three choices of transfer schools and Hawaii is not among the finalists as far as where he will continue his collegiate career. He entered the transfer portal, and so it is now official, basically, that he's going somewhere. And the three finalists, Missouri, Iowa State, and LMU. Are you surprised? Uh, not terribly. Not terribly. He, he put in almost a full shift, right, when, when you look at it, in terms of the years spent in his career at the University of Hawaii. He was a gritty, gritty player. Uh, but a guy, I think, who had some pulls maybe back to the continent. You can imagine if LMU is the choice, uh, gets him a lot closer to family. Uh, I understand as well the, the, the two schools sort of in the, the heart of America, whether it's Iowa State and the Big 12, whether it's Missouri and the SEC. I mean, those are power five conferences uh, that he can maybe go ahead and finish out his career, a new challenge for him. And then the fact that Hawaii's recruiting class coming in is pretty guard-heavy, uh, especially at the point guard position with a couple of guys uh, making their way to Manoa, who should challenge for that starting role uh, as the main ball handler and distributor. Uh, and I don't begrudge him that much. And I don't think it's a sign of him not wanting to compete with the incoming recruiting class, or it's not a sign of him necessarily being disgruntled with his current situation and the coaching staff or something like that. Uh, as I mentioned, he, he spent, what, four years there. Um, and a guy who has some opportunities, one, either to either go home uh, and quite honestly, play in a better conference if he is going to go play in the West Coast Conference for Loyola Marymount or a chance to, to go play in a Power Five conference. I, I don't begrudge him for that at all. Um, and thus, not terribly surprised that, that he's decided to, to close the door on the University of Hawaii. Yeah, I mean, he's done his thing, right? He's leaving as the career assists leader at the University of Hawaii. There wasn't much more, at least individually, for him to necessarily accomplish. And hey, look, I don't think he was fearful at all of competition that was coming in, either as returning members of the team or incoming recruits, because no one was taking that job away from Drew Bugs if he's coming back for his senior year. But you're right. You look at opportunity, change of scenery, a different challenge. Uh, and, you know, you may think, hey, look, uh, he lost his mom prior to last season. Family means so much to him. Maybe this is just a move to get closer to home. And uh, obviously out of Long Beach and, and LMU is a school that is in that relative region. Uh, but you think, all right, well, what about Iowa State and Missouri? Those aren't necessarily schools that are closer to home. Well, because another part of it is you have to think about 
what your position and contribution projects to be at any potential transfer institution. And so for Missouri, Conzo Martin is the head coach. Uh, they just got a commitment from Juco transfer Ed Chang, a 6'8 forward who started his career at San Diego State. They feel at least uh, as they're continuing to build this thing, um, can make some noise in the SEC. Iowa State, they need a point guard after Tyrese Halliburton, who is projected to maybe be a top five pick in the NBA draft, decided to turn pro after his sophomore year. Uh, you figure Drew's parents both attended Iowa State. His dad, Andrew, played football there. Uh, and so there's a connection, certainly, to these other programs. And you can understand the lure. Uh, I don't think this is any kind of denigration against the University of Hawaii. Uh, I think it's just Drew Bugs feeling like he has accomplished a lot in his collegiate career, wasn't highly recruited out of high school, now has a chance to sort of enjoy the exploits of being recruited, of, of sort of having that kind of attention. He didn't previously necessarily have that opportunity to experience that. It, it isn't ideal. You would love to have Drew Bugs come back, uh, but I think the University of Hawaii, as you mentioned, with the recruiting class coming in, uh, they are prepared it, it, to a certain extent to deal with this kind of loss. Uh, and Drew Bugs, I think, has accomplished so much that he has earned the right to see what else might be out there. What else is out there in terms of college sports? We head to our home stretch main event topic with Mountain West Commissioner Craig Thompson addressing the media about his concerns regarding the upcoming football season. Asked about key dates for insight in determining a start for the college football season, Thompson said on Tuesday, potentially if you go back to an eight-week preparation for college football to resume and the historical Labor Day weekend opening in college football, that might be the first barometer. So sometime early in July, a decision would need to be made, he says. He adds that all eight states that comprise the Mountain West Conference, of which Hawaii is a football-only member, will have to be in the same phase of recovery out of this quarantine for the season to even possibly take place. He adds that if the football season doesn't occur, that it would then be unlikely that any college sports season takes place. He's basically referring to the financial feeder that football tends to be for the various athletic institutions. Uh, add to this, University of Arizona President Robert Robbins expressing doubt that the season opener with Hawaii August 29th, which was to be played at Arizona, he is saying that I don't see it happening. Everything is still very much up in the air, but what is your reaction to Craig Thompson? Uh, does he have a point here? Does he make sense? What is your take on it? Well, I think he brings up some good points, right? There, there are so many moving pieces, especially for a 12-member football conference with the University of Hawaii. You're talking about eight different states. That's, uh, that's a lot of states to check off when, when you're looking at getting back and returning to football, uh, especially when you could have a pretty wide spectrum of reactions and planning from those eight states in terms of how they return uh, to normalcy, how they quote-unquote go back to opening the state up, if you will. And, and we're dealing with a lot of state institutions in this conference. And so that will be very much dictated by powers that be in governments uh, when it comes to getting kids back on campus. And so I think those are great points by Craig Thompson. I, I do think that they have to approach it from a standpoint of, hey, these are some checkpoints along the way, right? Whether it's eight weeks out from Labor Day, that's going to be one of them uh, going forward. And then, of course, the, the big point that he makes is no football. Does that mean everything else gets wiped off the board, right? We know the amount of money that football brings in. Um, and I think for the University of Hawaii, that's an interesting point to explore because they don't play in the Mountain West and all the other sports, right? They play in the Big West, basically, which is a non-football conference. And so 
is the Big West maybe more uniquely situated for a couple of reasons to survive a truncated or even a canceled football season because all but Hawaii, they exist in one state, right, with California. So they're all going to be on the same page. All the institutions are public schools. Um, and, and so that's going to be maybe a little bit easier to keep them all on, on the same page. Uh, and the fact that uh, they don't rely on football to, to keep that conference going. Yeah, the main concern, obviously, is the travel aspect of this. That's why when you heard some of those proposals from Major League Baseball, even what the NBA has talked about, they're basically talking about isolating the entire league, right? All the teams into one basic location where they eliminate the factor of travel. That is not a possibility when it comes to college sports. The travel uh, limitations and restrictions have to be broken down for obviously, especially for the University of Hawaii, any kind of competition to take place. And so I think that above all becomes a primary concern. It's not just the group gathering restrictions. Uh, it is the travel aspect that I think is going to be the biggest hurdle above all. When will those quarantines that are attached, whether it be incoming travel to the islands or outgoing travel, when are all of those things going to basically be in congruence with one another? That's, that's going to be a major factor here in just considering when this thing can get going. It can benefit Craig Thompson and some other conference commissioners around the country uh, to consider some more creative options for the college football season. Just because it doesn't start in week zero or on the Labor Day weekend doesn't necessarily mean that you can't have a season. Uh, if you start to consider maybe an abridged version of the season, something that starts later into the athletic year, depending on where we are with regard to COVID at that point. Uh, maybe you can restructure the schedule a little bit for clustered travel. Obviously, cost is another consideration here because of what could be a lack of revenue if these games are held in empty stadiums. But I do think that it might be getting ahead of ourselves to just say, carte blanche, hey, look, if we don't have college football, that's it for college sports. We'll see you in 2021, 2022. They've got to explore things, right? And especially when you're talking about some other sports, as you mentioned, the University of Hawaii men's volleyball team is a unique example. Um, but they're, college basketball makes a lot of money. Um, and, I, and I don't see how that just gets wiped out if football season somehow gets canceled this academic year coming up. Yeah, things are a little bit unique for the University of Hawaii from the standpoint of they have spring sports that do well at the ticket office, right? Baseball, men's volleyball. And so I had a chance uh, via Spectrum Sports on a new feature called the Stream Team to actually talk screen to screen with Athletics Director David Matlin. So let's play a little snippet of that in response, in large part, to uh, some of the comments from Mountain West Commissioner Craig Thompson. I, I, I hear where he's coming from. Uh, we, 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 we have um, probably two or three calls a week with the Mountain West ADs and the, and the conference staff, whether it be Craig and his deputy and, and, and his whole group. So we talked a lot of different scenarios. I, I think, you know, when you're part of a conference, there's no question there has to be some commonality. I, I don't know. I mean, right now, I think it's a little premature. There's still more information coming in. Like to say a certain date, uh, I mean, you look at football, for example. Um, how long does it take to prepare in a safe and healthy manner for a football season? You know, you hear anywhere from four to eight weeks. You know, um, a lot of coaches want more time because they want to get, you know, be better. They, they, they want to prepare. But from a health and safety manner, you know, as far as all eight states being online, uh, that's going to be tough because everyone might start coming up at different times. Let's hope we're all engaged in a, time, a timely manner so we can start the season uh, on Labor Day. Um, but if not, 
does it make sense to postpone it a few weeks? But, but it's not even just the Mountain West. It's all schools because you have non-conference games. You have bowl games that are part of this scenario. You have TV um, partners. So there's a, a lot that goes into it. Um, we have to look at all the, you know, all the scenarios and, and really make a decision that's best for the majority of people. And, and hopefully that's workable for all 12 institutions. How open are you and the rest of the athletic directors that you have had any kind of communication with to just those kinds of quote unquote outside of the box creative ideas, options that have never previously been considered as far as maybe an abridged season or a season that takes place closer to the winter season with regards to college football. What kind of ideas are being tossed around that you've heard? Well, you know, we're in two conferences. I'll start with the Mountain West because we're, we're, that's what you started with Craig Thompson. The, the best thing about um, both conferences, the collegiality is at an all-time high. I mean, um, it, you know, we're, compet we're fierce competitors. You know, we, we, we all want to win. We want to, you know, put our institutions in the best position possible. But we're realizing right now um, we need to help each other. So there's not this, um, you know, we're, we're holding these ideas. We're sharing um, to a high degree. And, it's, and, you know, the collaboration has always been pretty good, but it's, it's at a new level. And it makes me proud to be part of the, the, the Big West Conference and the Mountain West Conference, the way we're collaborating. And, uh, hey, um, the votes don't always go my way, um, <laughs> but, 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 but we're getting heard. And, uh, and people are voting uh, really on principle a lot and what they believe is best for the overall entity. Uh, so, you know, to, uh, so I would say, you know, when you talk about are people more open to uh, creative ideas? Absolutely. I mean, you know, we, we want to have uh, a full athletic season for the 2021 season, which means, you know, in our case, 13 football games. Uh, if, if, if that takes some creative work to make that happen, uh, I, people are, are very amenable to having those discussions and to thinking outside of the box, what we can do, not just for football, but even for our big West sports. Collaboration on the Big West side, um, led by you know uh, Commissioner Dennis Farrell and his staff, has been really good. Um, like I say, I mean, so, sometimes you, you you get outvoted, but but you can respect that you know people are are making thoughtful decisions, and um, you know and and you know frankly, I'm I'm leaving calls whether you you know whether you, it goes the way you wanted it to or not, feeling like you know you're 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 part of a team, and uh, that's the good thing about sports, though. I mean, I think we're, you know, we're kind of equipped to, to um, in athletics, you, you're, you're, you have to sacrifice for the whole. Um, and I think that we have to bring that to our conference level right now to do what we ask our student athletes to do for their individual teams. We have to do that for the greater team, which is really the collegiate athletic landscape. You know, you hear so many athletics directors and other administrators from various institutions, they seem to be focused so entirely on college football. And of course, football serves as a financial feeder to so many other sports uh, programs within athletic departments across the nation. Uh, but here in Hawaii, it's fairly unique. Uh, women's volleyball, men's volleyball, some of the sports that would be considered elsewhere as peripheral endeavors are actually big time flagship money makers. How does that influence how you uniquely approach this compared to maybe other ADs? Yeah, that's a really good question because you know we we you know we have any you know we have you know five uh, serious revenue generating sports that generate some you know serious dollars and maybe six that generate revenue, and then we have some you know some maybe sports that aren't 
revenue generating, but like beach volleyball that can win a national championship, our women's water polo team, our swimming team. I mean, you know, we were having a great year this year. Um, our spring, we were looking to have, last year was our highest director's cup standings in I think 10 years. This year we were on track to beat that. Um, obviously our men's volleyball team was going to compete for a national championship, it looked like. Um, so yeah, I think it does add a unique element to us uh, that um, we have um, these, uh, these sports that are revenue generators. Um, I, I mean, and at the end of the day, I mean, we have about 500 student athletes. All their programs matter. And as the athletic director, director, you care about that. But part of your job is to run the business and to try to maximize uh, revenue opportunities so you can support all your programs. But in, and in Hawaii, I mean, being the only Division One program and having no professional sports here, um, that's a little unique also too compared to most of our peer our, our peer institutions. All right, so that was again part of the conversation I had with David Matlin via the stream team. You can naturally check out the entire interview on OC16.tv or on Spec Sports High on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, the interview in its entirety, at least in two parts, is posted. Uh, there via those platforms. Your reaction to what you heard from David Matlin? Yeah, I think he's got a very measured approach to this. I, I think he's got a very realistic uh, plan or at least take on what the plan is going to be. The, the big variable is is having opponents to come and play, right, or to go and play uh, for the men's volleyball team, for the baseball team, uh, to capitalize on those program success and marketability. All right. Well, we appreciate certainly uh, the opportunity to play some of that uh, conversation with David Matlin. Let's get into the post game here. Our best and worst. We should probably just rename this worst and best because we always go in that order because <laughs> I just don't like ending on a low note. Right. So let's start with the worst. What's your worst here for this particular episode? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, the Las Vegas mayor uh, who was trending on social media the other day. Uh, so this is a, a little more serious, right, than, than some of the others that I've picked out in the past but Hawaii people love Vegas I love Las Vegas I was supposed to go to Las Vegas for the Pac-12 men's basketball tournament and actually canceled my flight like four hours before I was supposed to depart because that was the the Rudy Gobert day um, and so I've, I've got an affinity for that place I know a lot of people who live up there uh, some really good friends who now call the greater Vegas area their home um, and her offering up Las Vegas as sort of a case study for reopening things and and getting back to it, um, I was caught off guard. And I was just like, man, what are we doing here? What are we doing? And also selfishly, because I'm like, I don't want them to push back or, you know, have a, a relapse of sorts where I've got to wait even longer to go back to Vegas. I'm already, I'm already itching to get back up there. So uh, let's do it right, Vegas. Let's do it right. Maybe uh, pump the brakes a little bit. Um, and <laughs> let's, let's think this through. Yeah, we get it. Obviously, getting the economy back on track should be a major priority, and that is going to be a huge challenge. But let's also try to make sure that we prioritize correctly and, you know, take in human life as the elemental uh, issue of importance here uh, when it comes to this overall discussion. My worst is kind of Uji as well. Uh, Bellator champ Ilima Leigh McFarlane and Sister Mahina are part of a civil lawsuit uh, against a former basketball coach at Punahou, Dwayne Ewan, claiming sexual abuse. Now, the concern here is, I think, on top of everything else, is if true, uh, whether or not administrators at Punahou, uh, who were reportedly informed of the misconduct, ignored the complaints. Now, this is a huge issue, and we can't necessarily do it justice uh, in just this small framework here. Uh, 
but I bring it up now because it is, first off, very disturbing to hear that anything like this has occurred. Uh, but I also wanted to make sure that I carved out some time to give a nod to the alleged victims in this situation, and especially Elima Leigh McFarlane and Sister Mahina, who have attached their names to this thing. And you're talking about Elima, one of the most popular athletes in all of Hawaii right now, a Bellator champion. And so for her to have the courage and, and to be willing to put her name on something like this is something that should be lauded. And I hope that the truth comes out. And I hope that if these allegations are true, that justice is served. And I do want to praise Elima Leigh McFarlane, Sister Mahina, and even those who aren't named uh, in accordance with this lawsuit. I want to praise them for their bravery in coming out. We, we've had the pleasure of talking to her on our radio show uh, uh, multiple times uh, over the course of her career. And, and I think she is somebody who not just is a terrific athlete, uh, but somebody who has really taken on a responsibility of maximizing and really using her prominence and her fame and her position for the betterment of others. Uh, and she has done that in a number of different arenas, whether it's scholarships, whether it is for, um, you know, indigenous rights, all kinds of things that, that she has done. And, and this is just, you know, regrettably a situation that she has put herself forward in, but but also... I think another example of just how strong an individual she is. Now you understand why I didn't want to end on that note, right? Let's get yeah, to our I, best I, I, here I, for this show. <laughs> yeah, my, my best. I'm, I'm going to go with a little cross promotion. Uh, I actually stumbled across a podcast uh, that has recently been born, uh, Court Sense, with our guy Brian McInnes. Uh, and the first guest he had, um, you know, bold choice by him was, uh, was you. Uh, so... <laughs> I went and checked it out. I thought it was great. Uh, really enjoyable conversation. I think uh, BMAX got it down, uh, even just his first uh, episode. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm excited to see how that develops. And, and as he puts it, uh, he's doing it more for his own sanity than anything else. And uh, I think we can relate. So, yeah, I wish, uh, I wish our guy Brian the best. Excited to see uh, or excited for the next episode whenever that comes out. So, yeah, BMAC, Court Sense with Brian McInnes. Uh, it's also got a great logo. So, yeah, go, go check that out. Uh, the podcast marketplace is a crowded one. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're scratching and clawing as well. But uh, I think our guy, B-Mac, deserves a, a bit of a shout out. Yeah, he's good, man. We wish him the best. We love the guy. Uh, and, yeah, I was the Kanoa in the coal mine for his uh, podcast, the first episode <laughs> guest. So it, it was a bold choice, or, or did you mean to say a board choice? Either way, it, it, it may apply here uh, when it comes to that. But, no, we wish him the best, and I hope I didn't bleep the whole thing up for him uh, by being a bad guest on episode one. My best is the Gronk videos, right? You had Tom Brady blowing the conch shell, a la Ron Burgundy and the Channel 4 news team, as Gronk came sprinting around from behind trees to report for duty. That was hilarious. Completely ignored all of the provisions carved out when it comes to social distancing. But Tom Brady's kind of been doing that. He like walked into the wrong house when he was trying to go to Byron Leftwich's house. I, I don't know what's going on with Tom right now. Uh, but you also had Dick Vitale, who for some reason has emerged as the ambassador of all things Tampa. He lives in Sarasota, by the way. But he celebrates the Gronk news <laughs> by wearing Tampa Bay Buccaneers gear, jumping into a pool. And he's like in his 80s, right? So I just found those among all of the other social media vids in reaction to Gronk coming out of retirement. I, I found those to be quite delightful. The league's better with Gronk in it, right? The league, the, the NFL is more exciting. It's more fun. 
when Rob Gronkowski is involved. So I'm, I'm excited that he's back playing football. All right. Well, that's it for us. Don't forget, you can uh, hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helley, or our new uh, Twitter account with uh, regard to this show, Talk Sports 808. So check us out there if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Jordan, take care, buddy. Have a good one, man. 